0: Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So we are in a series that we just call Core, a core vision It's what we are about as a, as a church and what really we should we be about as a, as a people of God, as Jesus followers. It's, it's what God has called us to be and to do and what, we should, be, what should be at our very core And so we've just been looking at different things, making much of Jesus that that should be at the core of what we are as a church and what we should be as a people, that we are making much of Jesus, we are exalting his name, he's the name that is above every other name, we need to think like Jesus, we need to think kingdom, have kingdom mindset, kingdom approach, kingdom way that we go about this life. This was what Jesus commonly taught. He commonly taught about what it looks like not to live within this kingdom that will soon pass, but to live within a kingdom that is eternal. That was a mindset that Jesus wants us, wants us to always always have. We looked at the idea of, of, of scripture and how important that we should make scripture in our life, the authority of scripture. We looked at what it means to be godly, to, to live a godly life, to have a life of of integrity and character that, that looks like Jesus, that we respond like Jesus, we see life the way that Jesus sees life. So these are some of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks as far as what should be at our very core even though externally we all look different externally we've come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different you know points of view and different opinions and different ideologies and different philosophies we all are different in that way but at the core if you're a Jesus follower we, these are the things that should be at our very core that we are godly we think kingdom we make much of Jesus and we live our lives on the authority of the word of of God that's the what directs our life that's what makes our life and what this will do the word of God will do it will help us understand and know Jesus more understand Jesus and how much he loves and cares for you today even though it's Halloween in our culture today um, it's gonna feel like Easter today, at least in in this few minutes that I have with you. It's going to feel like Easter. I don't know if it it doesn't look like Easter outside. It doesn't feel like Easter outside. But this message is typically a kind of message that I'll share on an Easter Sunday. Um, But I think that this kind of message is certainly must be our core. It should certainly must be the core. As a matter of fact, it was the core belief of, of all Jesus followers, you know, when the church exploded and when people, you know, were given their life for this, for this faith and, 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 and being, you know, understanding what it looked like to be a Christian, they, this was at their very Core, now Paul, or excuse me, uh, the Hebrew writer. Here's here's what he says, and this is sort of like a little bit of a framework where I want us to kind of come around uh, this morning. And so in Hebrews six, Hebrew six, it says, and we desire that each of you demonstrate the same diligence, so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So Paul, or whoever's writing this, I, I, I keep saying Paul, but we don't really know who, who this writer was. Um, but whoever this writer was, he, he, he or she is saying that each of us should demonstrate the same diligence and to realize the full assurance of the hope until the end. Then it goes on to say this in, in verse 12. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. So so what they're saying is, is that we have a tendency to sort of become, as Jesus followers, indifferent to things. That we sort of get lazy, we get sluggish, we, we we sort of get lethargic when it comes to our faith. And so this writer is saying to us, hey, listen, don't get lazy, don't get sluggish, don't get indifferent to to what is going on around you and the reality of what's happening around you. He says, he says, you should be imitators of those in faith. Like, you should be imitators of what you see in the scripture. You know, great men and women of faith, you should look at their faith and be imitators of that faith and not, you know, get lazy about your faith. Don't get lazy, don't fall asleep, don't become indifferent because I think, I think, this is what I think, I think it's a real ploy, a scheme of the enemy to get us to just really wanna just become indifferent to what is going on in this world, what is going on when it comes to faith and, and certainly what is going on with with our, you know, our, our, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, in, in the inheritance of the promises that we have. The enemy just wants us to be sluggish The the enemy just wants us to be indifferent The enemy just wants us to be lethargic The enemy just wants to hush us to sleep You know, if the church If the church can just be asleep It will be ineffective If the church can just You know Then the enemy's going Then then, then there won't be any difference There won't be any change They won't see the redemption work of God because if the church is just sluggish, we're ineffective. We're ineffective. And this is what the Hebrew writer is telling us. Listen, don't be sluggish. Imitate. Imitate those that you read about and great men and women of faith. Imitate their faith. And imitate their endurance as you understand what it looks like to inherit the promises that we have. And then he goes on to say this in the same chapter a few verses down. He says, this hope, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope hope that is both sure and reliable and one which enters within the veil. He says, listen, this kind of hope that we have, it's just like an anchor for us. This anchor that will help us not to get sluggish or not to fall asleep or not to be indifferent. This anchor that will stop us from drifting away. Drifting away from our faith. Drifting away from our, our hope. Drifting away from you know, what God has called us to do and to be as people of God. Don't let yourself drift away. Have this hope be an anchor for you and me. This is, this is what he's talking about. Now, what is this hope? What is this hope, okay? Well, Paul talks about it in this way. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So even at this time, there was people that was saying, there was people that were going around saying that there was no, no resurrection, that, that's impossible, that, that's something that's supernatural, that was a miracle, that couldn't have happened. There must have been other Reason. so here 's what people are saying there's no resurrection in, in our culture today that's what people believe too that there's no resurrection if if, if we could come around and believe the fact that, that there was a res- resurrection it would be it would be radical it would be amazing it would our, our, the churches would be full and vibrant and, and and not be indifferent and not be sluggish and not you know go you know be, you know sort of just kind of reserve and fall back into their own habits and routines and make life about them if we really believed that there was a resurrection, none of those things would happen. But then he goes on to say this, Paul says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if he's if he's saying that if this doesn't if this isn't real, if there's no resurrection, if we can't go what, what the Hebrew writer said, if we can't go beyond the veil and what what that meant was, if we can't go into the presence of God, if we can't leave this temporary place and go to a place of eternity, then then if there's no resurrection, then even Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And he goes, takes it even further. Look what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. So if, if Jesus didn't resurrect, I'm wasting my time and yours. If Jesus didn't resurrect, there is absolutely no reason for us to be seated here this morning and getting up, getting the kids ready, getting out the door, all the things that you do as a parent to make sacrifices and all the things that... Listen, if Jesus didn't resurrect, this is worthless. Our faith is worthless. And then he says this, verse 19. If we've hoped... If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're people to most, most be pitied. Like we, we like, because of what it means to be a Jesus follower, what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And Paul's going, listen, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Jesus follower. There's things that, that, the, that the word of God asks us to do that are challenging. Anybody, can anybody attest to that? Like some of the things that the word of God wants us to do are very challenging for us. And Paul's going, listen, if all we're doing is living for Jesus in this life and there's no afterlife, there's no eternal life, then we should be pitied. Like you should feel bad for us. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. So here's what Peter says. So our hope, what is our hope? Our hope is in a resurrection, right? That's our hope. Our hope is that we get to go beyond the veil and be in eternity with God in heaven. There's a plate, right? That's our hope that we have. Anybody excited about that hope here? Come on, everybody. Come on. I know. That's the hope that we have. We, we get to leave this crummy world and we get to go to a better world forever. Like that's the hope that we have. This is the reality. If that wasn't the case, this is a waste of time. I'm wasting your time. And you're wasting mine. If we can be fair, but we all and Paul going listen. You should feel sorry for us. But Paul's like that's not the reality. That's not the reality. That's not the truth. The truth is there is a resurrection. There is a hope. And we're gonna endure in our faith and we're not gonna get sluggish in our faith. We're not gonna get indifferent in our faith. We're not gonna fall asleep in our faith. We're gonna be awake and alive and alert to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Peter says it this way. Here's what Peter wrote, 1 Peter three fifteen. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, make Christ. Make Jesus Lord. Set him apart. That's what sanctified means. It means to set him apart as Lord of your life. Number one, name above all names. That's what he's saying. Set Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with a gentleness and respect. Question, and this is for me too, when was the last time someone asked you about the hope that you've exhibited in your life that has become so clear and transparent and real to you that somebody goes, what is it that you have that I don't have? And that's a question for me too. Because I don't remember the last time. And it is, for me, it's not fair. Because I'm a, I'm a walking guilt trip for people. Because I'm like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh. And then the conversation becomes really awkward. And they, then they apologize because they swore just like a few sentences before that. And. So sometimes I'm like, I don't even say. Like, I you know, I work with with an organization, you know, and I do some public speaking, and, you know, um, I try to inspire people, and, you know, so I just sort of, no, so, and I know it's not a fair question. I get it, I get it. It's not a fair question. But there was something that, that made Peter write to these Jesus followers and say, hey, are you ready? Are you ready For when that time comes, when somebody says to you, hey, you talk about this hope that you have, can you explain that to me? Are you ready to make a defense? You know what Christians are are good at? (laughs) Here's what Christians are good at. We're not, let me just say what we're not good at. We're not good at making a defense. You know what Christians are good at? Christians are good at taking offense. That's a Christian Like we're we're Peter goes, you need to make a defense. And then we think, take offense. We like when somebody does something that contradicts or doesn't, we don't, you know, you know, they didn't sign up for that. And we like we we are so easily, we so easily take offense to things. And Peter's going, listen, don't take offense. Don't take offense. As a matter of fact, we looked at a few verses just a you know, few weeks ago to say, like, we shouldn't be taking offense at anything. We shouldn't be taking offense at anything. Because Peter's going, listen, I want you to make, make a defense. Make a defense of what? Of the hope that is in you. So here's core, a core value, core vision for us today. Okay, here's, here's what it is. That was a long introduction, I'm sorry. Here's what it is. We need to be unapologetic Christians about with apologetics, unapologetic Christian apologetics. What does that mean? Okay, unapologetic Christian apologetics. Okay, this should be our core. Okay, what is apologetics? A defense of the Christian faith and hope. Okay, that's our. That's what we, we. So we we need to be. What should be at our core? If we're people that are not taking offense but making a defense, that we should be people that understand some apologetics of defense of the Christian faith and hope. Not not because we're offended, but because we're making it a a defense. We're, we're, We're saying, I'm gonna be ready, I'm gonna be ready to share why I have hope. I'm gonna be ready to do that. So, I want to give you a defense, okay? I don't want you... To take offense. I just want you to make a defense. Okay. That's what I want. And, and so here's what I think. And, and maybe you, and this is maybe redundant for you. Maybe you already know these things or maybe you need to be reminded of these things. But here's the truth. The truth is, the truth is we need to stop being sluggish and we need to wake up and we need to stop being indifferent and we need to be ready to share the hope of a resurrected Jesus, why we believe that He resurrected, why we believe He resurrected. I don't, I'm not standing here before you today because it feels right to me. Like I'm not, I'm not going, yeah, you know, it just makes me feel good. Being a Christian makes me feel good. It gives me this sense of it's not why I'm here. It's not, it's not why I'm a Christian. And it's not why we, when people were becoming Jesus followers, it's not why they were either. And I'll explain that too in a little bit. But he says, he says, listen, listen, we need to have, we need to have a defense, make a defense of why we have a hope. And it's not because it feels right always, but because we know it's true. And here's why we should know it's true. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Okay here's some things. Some undisputed facts, okay? Here's what you need to know. Undisputed facts. Um, I, I know, I don't expect you to do this research. I've done it for you. You're welcome. It's my job, okay? So if anybody wants to question you about the, the veracity of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth that, is a, that is a mute point now with skeptics Believers and skeptics, it's a, it's, it's no longer. There, there's enough evidence now, enough evidence, enough facts to say that there was a Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, he was a real man. Another thing, some undisputed facts. Jesus of Nazareth was baptized and crucified. Those are undisputed facts. If anybody wants to tell you otherwise, they're, they're wrong. Skeptics, those who are not believers, Jesus followers, historians, these are facts. Jesus was a real person and Jesus of Nazareth was baptized and crucified. Those are, those are documented realities. Those happen undisputed. No one disputes them. Another one. Christians have always testified to the resurrection of Jesus. Christians have always testified to the resurrection of Jesus. Of Jesus, that has always been their story. See, in all other religions, in all other, all other faiths, all other philosophies, all other religions, there was a person who received somewhere out in a desert or in a secluded place or in a cave or by themselves. There was a person that received a revelation. And then they went back and they said I got a revelation from God and then that's how their faith movement began. That is the, that is the, the 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 skim the surface bottom line for all other faith systems. It is a person who received a revelation from what they said from God and then that's how their religion, their movement began. That's not the story of Christianity. That's not the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity was is that there was an event that happened. There was an event that took place. There was something that happened and from the very beginning conception of Christianity all Jesus followers testified that something happened and they saw it. They saw, it, it, was, it was a, a they, what they saw is they, they saw a risen Jesus. They saw that he was baptized, undisputed. They saw that he was crucified, undisputed. But what is disputed today is did he really resurrect? And according to Paul, if he didn't resurrect, then our, my preaching is a waste of your time and your faith is a waste of time your time but he resurrected and I'll tell you why I'll tell you why a few things we have as Christians we have credible literature we have credible literature what does that mean that means in any anything anything in history okay any manuscripts any literature What what gives it veracity is oftentimes the amount of literature that is copied or produced or discovered. Okay, Christianity has more copies, more literature than any uh, any other thing. In that we so anything like is for example like Plato, uh, you know, Socrates, Aristotle. Christianity has more literature and more information around, you know, Jesus and his, and Jesus followers than anything with Plato, Socrates, Aristotle so on and so forth. We have more literature. Um Homer who wrote like the Iliad and Odyssey and some of the things that we read about in our history books surrounding, you know, the the Troy and and in and and Sparta and, and all the things that, you know, we see like in movies that make for really cool movies like if you ever seen the movie Troy with Bat, Brad Pitt, you know, like that's a, around, you know, his his literature, his his writings, okay? And so that has That has the most copies in history. That has somewhere around 1,700 plus copies. So it it, it gives it, so the world goes, that must have been true. That must have happened. That must have been a reality. That must have taken place. They had 1,700. The only thing that has more copies than that is our New Testament. Our New Testament has over 5,000 copies. verifiable pieces of literature that identify people that we read about and we know about in the scripture. But yet the world questions a resurrection, but yet it doesn't question whether a certain battle took place in Athens or in Troy. Are you with me? Are 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 you staying with me? We have credible literature. Many, many years ago, there was a discovery of what was what is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls has had was was discovered and has what was found was it was copies and copies and copies of of Old Testament literature old testament manu- manuscripts of what we see in our in our scripture all, copies and copies and copies which and they have they have and I'm 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 jumping ahead a little bit but they have um, the whole the whole version of the book of Isaiah the whole version of the book of Isaiah okay but and I'll get to that in a second but what we see also what has been verified in our old testament what has been verified in our old testament is that there are some somewhere around um, 300, we'll say conservatively, 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah, concerning Jesus as what we believe to be the Messiah. There's some 300 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all 300 prophecies, all 300, prof- 300 plus prophecies. Some say there was 400 or more. Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. Prophecies written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth, did ministry on this earth, was baptized, was crucified, and claims were made that he resurrected. He fulfilled 300. Now, what if, what if it was just eight foretold, fulfilled prophecies, not 300 plus, okay? Not 300 plus. The odds of that is this. The odds of that is this: it's one in ten to the seventeenth power. Okay, it's one and ten and seventeen zeros behind that. That's the odds of that. Now, what does that mean to us? That means those are some odds that you don't want to bet on. Okay, here's here's a, some um, guy by the name of. Um, um now don't don't get distracted by his name his name was paul stoner okay don't get distracted by that stay with me come back come back come back paul stoner was a mathematician and he said that probability the probability of that so the, he he took he took these he said what if it was just 8 but in reality it was 300 plus what if he just took 8 it was the, these were the odds he he said it would be like this he would say that if you took silver dollars and you filled the whole state of Texas with silver dollars two feet high if you took silver dollars filled the whole state of Texas two feet high and you had to find one silver dollar that said and I don't remember what he put but I'll just say this that said Market Street Church on it those are the odds and then he goes. Oh, and by the way, you're blindfolded. It was just if only eight. If if Jesus only fulfilled eight, but he fulfilled three hundred plus. That's the odds. And the odds would be like it, it. It also be like picking a number between one and fifteen billion. You right. Like pick, you're, you're like pick a number between one and 10. You're like, right, right. Which, what, you know, it's like, did you pick two? Anybody pick two? No? Okay. Like it would be like picking a number between one and 15 billion. Those are the odds. If only eight prophecies were fulfilled, Jesus fulfilled 300 conservatively. That's, the, that's a good defense right there. So I mentioned The Dead Sea Scrolls And I mentioned I was getting ahead of myself Because my notes Were telling me I was The Dead Sea Scrolls Right So Isaiah They, 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 they discovered a, a, The book of Isaiah Isaiah was You know Like I said Debated When Isaiah was written At what time frame It was written But I'll just, I'll just Sort of give you a gap You know And so the gap of Isaiah Is somewhere between Written between 335 B.C. And 107 B.C. So Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, the book of Isaiah was written, okay? Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed it. They know 335, between 107 and 335 BC is when they were written. Dead Sea Scrolls says, I got a book of Isaiah. Here's what just, just one book, just one, just one manuscript of Isaiah, Isaiah's writings. Here's what we can find in that. As a matter of fact, not even not even in just one book that we call the book of Isaiah, but in one chapter. In one chapter, here's what we discover. He will lead a blameless life. Talking about the Messiah. He will lead a blameless life. He will let himself be crucified without protest because of our sins. Isaiah 53. Also, the punishment from God is Is um, punishment from God and His crucifixion will allow us to be forgiven of our sins. Isaiah 53 says this He will be resurrected from the dead. Come on. One book, one chapter, written hundreds of years before Jesus. And this is what they said you should look for. We have credible literature, credible literature, and I could go on and on and on and on of how credible our literature is. I mean, I could talk about when it was written, the time frames in which it was written. Like I said, like Homer's Iliad and, and Odyssey were written or were discovered like four hundred plus years after it was written, four hundred years later after it was written. We have evidence. Listen, we have evidence, we have fragments of John's gospel that date to 125 A.D. And John's gospel was probably written at the latest 90 A.D. 90 A.D. And we have fragments that date back to 125, just a short gap. What George read and what I shared in 1 Corinthians 15, there's evidence that supports that that was written somewhere around 40 AD and, and even some say 30 AD of when, or, or when, when that was, Or f- excuse me, no, 50 AD or 40 AD of when that was written. It is a short, short gap of what we have. And all other literature that we read about in our history books, they go, they go hundreds of years, 400, 500, 1,000, and even more. And the world says those are credible. And we should say, <laughs> there's nothing more credible than the literature that we have. You look bored. I'm loving this stuff. I'll do the best I can. Here we go. All right. Credible literature. You were bored with that. Okay, okay. Number two, number two. Christians couldn't lie. Okay? Christians couldn't lie. Here's a defense, okay? They, They couldn't lie. Here's what I mean by that. Christianity, you could you read it, you read in, in, in in our Bible, they had no problem, they had no problem writing themselves in the story and making them look foolish. No problem at all. Like one of Jesus now if 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 you're writing something and you're trying to prop something up and make something look good, you're not you're not doing what the what the gospel writers are doing. You're not, here's what you're not, certainly not including if if this was a folklore or a fairy tale or something, a myth or something that they wanted to push, some sort of agenda. You certainly aren't putting the story of Judas in there. Right? Like if you're wanting to say you should be a Jesus follower and they had something to gain from that, which by the way, they had nothing to gain. They had nothing to gain from continuing their message of he's alive, he's alive. I've seen him, we've seen him, hundreds of people have seen him, he's alive. They had nothing to gain from that and they certainly wouldn't put the story of Judas in there. And if Peter is a key player in this movement of Christianity, Peter certainly wouldn't have put his story in there. Hey guys, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, can you not include the time when I, uh, you know, um, betrayed him three times? Like, do you mind if you just, like, omit that out of the story? That's not what happened. It's not what happened. It was in there. You, you know, hey, um, hey, John, you know, can you imagine Thomas? Like, John... Um, yeah, So, you know, I doubted, you know, a little bit. You know, I was like making statements, like putting my hand in somebody's holes. And, you know, I, you know who, would do, who would do that, right? That's gross, right? John, you don't, you don't need to put that in there. And John's like, yeah, Thomas, man, you did it, buddy. We can't lie. We can't lie. We're only going to just verify what actually happened. What actually happened? I know this sounds terrible, but you know women women in that culture they had their their testimony wasn't credible at all, at all. That women's testimonies weren't even held in, in court. They, they, the judges judges they wouldn't even listen. They wouldn't even hear them. But you know who, who Jesus gave the first message of a resurrected Jesus was to a bunch of women. Hey. Women, come here. You're, you're the only faithful ones, you know, that believe in me. Go and tell those doofuses that are hiding, you know, and scared for the life that I'm alive. The first message of a resurrected Jesus was preached by a woman. Women. Come on, women. Let's hear you. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, man. Carry that message. You carry that message, ladies. That's that was the message that was proclaimed. I mean, come on, this is what God. This is what this is. The, they just, they're like, why would you write that in there? Because you know, women weren't allowed. Why? Would, because that's because that's what happened. It's just what happened. Christians, Jesus followers, couldn't lie. Couldn't lie. Chuck Colson who was a part of the Watergate scandal. Maybe some, many, some of you recognize that name and remember the Watergate scandal that took place. Chuck Colson, at that time, spent, um, became a Jesus follower. He became a Jesus follower. And he actually used his experience as a way to say, this is why I believe that the resurrection happened. Here's what Chuck Colson said. He says, here were 10 of the most powerful men in the United States with all that power and we couldn't contain a lie for two weeks. He's like, there was 10 of us or 12 of us, I don't remember. There was 10 of us, he said. He was, we couldn't contain a lie of what happened that night in the Watergate. I We couldn't do it for two weeks. Couldn't do it for two weeks. The people who were Jesus followers, who were there after they saw a resurrected Jesus, they never recanted ever. Ever. John, who brought us the gospel of John and the book of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he was faced with an opportunity to recant his faith. If he didn't, he was gonna be dropped in a vat of boiling oil. If he didn't recant his faith, he never did. And they dropped him in a vat of boiling oil and miraculously, he survived. Which is why they sent him to the island of Patmos to cut rocks because they thought, this guy can't die. He eventually did, but it wasn't in that moment. And he had every reason, if it wasn't true, listen, you have to understand this. If it wasn't true, he had every reason in the world to recant. Hundreds of people saw him alive. Hundreds of people were faced with their demise, and they never recanted. If they would have, if they would have, it would have been written because they weren't afraid to talk about their failures. They weren't afraid to write in their failures in the story of a resurrected Jesus. The question that I've asked before is is this Who would die for a known lie? Who would die? for a known line. They didn't. They didn't. And you know why? Because they had hope. They had hope. They had hope. They knew, if this is my demise, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> if this is the end of me, I'm going home. If I'm finished here, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. I had hope. I endured. I stayed with, with the Lord. I was, I was faced with death and excruciating death. I mean, you can read all about all of the men and women who were Jesus followers who were faced with horrific horrific ends to their life, but they never turned their back. Why? Because Christians can't lie about what they saw. So if anybody asks, you should point them to, you know, these guys, they had every reason to recant, but they didn't do it. They had every reason to turn their back and to live a normal life. Life, but they didn't do it. They were willing to die. They were willing to die for what not, be, not what they believed. People do that all the time. They were willing to die for what they saw. They were willing to die for what they saw. And I look at that and I go, <laughs> it must be true. It must be true. It must be true. A non-Christian New Testament scholar, Paula Fredrickson said this. Here's what a non-Christian New Testament scholar, here's what she says. I know in their own term. I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say. And then all of the historic evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they say saw. Then she goes on to say this. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw, but I do know that as a historian that they must have seen something. They must have seen something. If you're wanting how to make a defense... You should be ready, you should be ready. You should be ready because there's a hope that we have in Christ. We have credible literature. We have Christians who just couldn't lie. And I I won't spend a lot of time on this, but we also have people with changed lives, with changed lives. We have people like, you know, Paul, who, like, Paul is like, Paul becoming a Christian is like Osama bin Laden becoming an American patriot. Like, that's how dramatic and drastic that life change was for Paul. I mean, Paul even said, he's like, I persecuted the church. Like I condemned the church. I was putting Christians that were Jesus followers to death. And then what happened to Paul? What happened to Paul? He saw Jesus. He saw. Oh, you are alive. I'm going to live for you now. And Jesus even told Paul, your life is going to be hard. If you follow me, your life is going to be hard. And Paul's like, I can't deny what I saw. I can't lie about what I saw. I can't stop doing what I know to be true. I'm going. And Paul's life was change guess what your life can be changed god can make a difference in your life god can do a miracle in your life god can do a miracle with your coworker god can do a miracle in your home god can do a miracle in your neighborhood god can do a miracle with whoever it is that you come across in this life that you go they're never going to believe they're never going to find faith they're never going to understand what it means to be a jesus follower let me tell you something if paul could do it anybody else can do it too because god can do Anything, anything, anything changed lives. And listen, that's the best evidence. That's the best evidence. Is your life, your life being changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. But before that happens, wake up. Wake up. Stop being sluggish. And the enemy's going, shh, no, it's okay. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't shh, sh- sh. go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Shh. Oh, don't, 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 don't mention that you go to church. Don't mention that at all. You don't need to worry about shh, shh, sh- shh, sh- shh, shh, Ch- shh. Church, we've got to wake up. Because our hope is not fixed on some sort of experience or revelation by one person. Our hope is planted in the work that was done by God through his son Jesus, that he died and he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures and those scriptures are credible And those people that brought us the story of Jesus, they couldn't lie and they had every opportunity to recant and they didn't. And their lives were radically changed. Let's wake up. Let's wake up. Because our message is the best message in the world. And we have no greater hope. We have no greater hope. So maybe one day somebody will walk up to you and go, hey, tell me about your hope. Why do you have it? You can say, ah, (laughs) my pastor told me about some credible literature, but I couldn't remember any of that. Ah, you know, my pastor told me about, there's some, you know, Jesus followers that knew that they could have lied about it, but they didn't lie about it in their life. But let me just tell you something. I just want you to know that what Jesus has done for me in my life. That's, that's a message. Here's what Jesus has done for me in my life. Make a defense. And just for fun, stop taking offense. Just make a defense. Find your own. This thing is not a house of cards for some skeptic To come and go, you know, Jesus wasn't a real person. You know, Jesus, there's no proof of that. You can just say, you didn't do your research, and I did. I'm not even going to say he, I'm not, I'm going to go as far as to say, yeah, he 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 was baptized. That's there's proof. Yeah, he, he he was crucified. There's proof of that. Nobody disputes that. I'm gonna tell you why he resurrected, and that's Worth following. That's why they did. Father, the core of our faith is in an event that took place 2,000 years ago. That you came out of the grave. You conquered death and the grave and sin for all. And you gave us a hope. You gave us hope that doesn't compare with any other kind of hope that we have in this world. God, you gave us life and proof and you've continually over the year over history have continued to prove the validity the veracity of your scriptures over and over and over again our faith God is not built on a house of cards our faith is built on the firm foundation of sacred literature men and women who were willing to die for what they knew was true. And countless people's lives have been changed by this gospel. So Father, I just pray that we're not indifferent, that we're not lazy or sluggish or asleep anymore that we wake up to the reality of this hope and we continue to endure in our faith and are ready, we're ready to make a defense of that hope that is in us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody.